Hello, I'm Leila Hidayat and welcome to this special edition of Stories to Change. So you can usually find me behind the scenes at Frontline, however during this extraordinary time I'll be recording from my living room. I'll be speaking to some really amazing people as well as some brilliant organisations who are adapting to support children and families during the pandemic and beyond. You, our lovely listeners and social gooders, will hear their stories, advice and hopes for the future as we learn together along the way. Hi everyone, hope you're doing well this week. So this week I spoke to the amazing David Thomas, a head teacher of a secondary school in Norwich. And David's part of a group of teachers who set up Oak National Academy, a free online school that is freeing up teacher time so they can better support the most vulnerable children. In a short space of time, they've had great success. And David talks about the importance of routine and how education can be a way of keeping normality in children's lives. He talks about the importance of acknowledging how children feel during a crisis, not only adults, and giving children a sense of agency by encouraging them to do something for others. Finally, he shares his experience of bringing an idea to life. And David says the most important thing is just to get started. So I hope you enjoy the listen, and I'll speak to you again soon. We are all good to go. So I'm just asking each um, of our guests to share an interesting fact so our listeners can get to know our guests a little bit more. <laughs> I will I will dare to reveal to the internet there is somewhere in some archive uh, a terrible, terrible film um, that is my seven-year-old self um, going around my daily life to try and give some kind of insight into BBC Two viewers about what, what children of the last millennium were like. Um, so that exists. And the, the awful thing about that is they obviously had to make each child fulfill some kind of stereotype. Um, and I was the nerd stereotype. And the way that I had to demonstrate that I was of the nerd stereotype is that I always carried the Horrible Histories book about the Tudors, the terrible Tudors around with me. And in every single scene, I would say a Tudors fact. So you've got this film, it's like little David having his haircut, telling his um, hairdresser about how if you were naughty in Tudor times, you used to get boiled in oil. And um, so that exists somewhere on the Internet. And I feel like I've challenged enough people to find it and they haven't been able to that I might just get away with it this time, but we'll find out. Do you know where it is then? And you're just not revealing the location? I know that it's on a VHS tape in my mum's front room. Okay, so it's safely stored there. So thanks for that. Thanks for sharing. I do appreciate it. It's a little bit of an ask to ask for an interesting fact um, (laughs) on the spot as well. So I wonder if you want to say a little bit about Oak National Academy. Yeah, so Oak is a free online school. So the idea is that we are able to put online lessons together and put them out there freely accessible on the internet so that teachers and schools can direct their pupils to them if that's something that will help their school. And so what we're seeing is that being useful for teachers and schools where they want to free up more teacher time to support the most vulnerable children. So um, rather than the teacher 
battling for a day with their webcam trying to record their own online video we're actually doing the videos and putting some activities and so on together and that's freeing up teachers to be able to check in with their kids with special educational needs or check in with the people who are a bit more vulnerable and provide extra support so it's trying to help free up schools during what's just a phenomenally tricky time so that they can do the stuff that only a school can do and there's a, a lot a lot of content 180 videoed lessons each week accessed by two million people it's, it's been a huge success so far i think i think it's gone um even bigger than we were expecting it has gone be, well beyond 180 lessons a week now um we've expanded the curriculum we are um, now offering curriculum for students who would normally be in specialist provision. So those who actually are some of the most vulnerable in society aren't getting left behind and, and they've got some support as well through this time. Um, and we've been expanding out what we're doing in year 10 with key stage four options. So the number of lessons is growing and we, we're staying at uh, over two million lessons a week. And what's motivating you specifically? So did you want to say a little bit more about your role in setting this up and what inspires you and what, what made you get involved? Yeah, so my day job is I'm the head teacher of a state secondary mainstream school in Norwich. And when all of this kicked off, I had not Oak, but coronavirus. I had two messages. So the message that I had to our kids was that they didn't have to worry because this was our, our crisis to deal with. And our job was to make sure that they still got an education because when this crisis was de dealt with, there are still going to be other ones in the future. And in 20, 30 years time, there will be another problem that hits the world because every generation has its crisis and this one's ours and they'll have theirs. And our job as teachers was to make sure that by the time they have theirs, they are ready to be the leaders of the world to take the world through it. And you know, my kids are amazing. They would do a brilliant job of that. And we couldn't compromise you know, the health of future generations by not making sure that they kept up their education and by letting that virus harm their ability to be the world's leaders in the future. And we were really big on that message to them. Um, and I really believe that. Like, it would be short-sighted of us to not think about the generation that has to safeguard the world's future in decades to come. And so it's just really important for me in the way that it is for any teacher to make sure that the education of our children is not harmed by this. And a message I had to my staff was that this is kind of what we were called for. You know, as teachers, we've gone into our profession, our vocation, because we want to make sure that every child is able to achieve their potential and that no child's life circumstances hold them back. And we were going into a situation with school closure where life circumstances were really going to hold people back. You know, if you are in a home that is fortunate enough to be very well resourced and have lots of time available, then your education can continue apace. And if you are not that fortunate, because your parents are working or are key workers and so are not able to be there or you're not as well resourced, then through absolutely no fault of you or your parents, your education might be put back. And you know, we come into education to stop that being the case. And so this moment of the greatest risk of children being put back, this was this was our time. Like this was our moment. This is what we we ended teaching for. And um, and that's what that's what's motivating you know, me and my staff and, and the hundreds of thousands of teachers across the country who are working really, really hard at the moment to make sure that no child's education is harmed by this. Um, and so there was a kind of a sense, I think, for me of actually feeling as this all developed a little bit guilty 
because I work in an amazing team that demographically is just a little bit better set up for this. Um, on average, our teachers in my school are a little bit younger and have slightly fewer responsibilities in terms of home and caring than the average teacher. And that meant that we were really well equipped to be able to very quickly set up online learning and do a great job and support our, our children in learning how to do it very quickly so that they could do a great job too. And that is just fortune. Like of course, it's the, you know, the tremendous effort of my team, but it was also just good luck. And there are lots of schools across the country that aren't that well placed um, just because of luck of the draw. Um, their staff might be more hit by illness. Their staff's families might be more hit by illness. Um, they might just be less capable to in invest the volume of time that we have. And so it's not right that they shouldn't be able to help their students to the same extent or that they, those children don't get the same quality of education. And so we just felt like this was the time to be a bit more civically minded. And those of us who did have the luxury of being able to spare a bit of capacity shouldn't be selfish with that and should make whatever we could available so that if it could help others, they could take it. So you mentioned about providing a fair opportunity for all different types of children and their different life circumstances. And I wonder, so this is an online resource, and I wonder about those kids at home who, you know, don't have maybe any laptops or one or two laptops to share between the family or have, you know, no Wi-Fi access. Are there different provisions for those children as well to kind of access the resource? So we're 100% online, but we are very aware that 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 doesn't necessarily work for everyone. And so we've done everything that we can to try and make it work. 100% of the content's pre-recorded. So if your internet cuts out or if you're sharing a device around siblings, you are still able to access it whenever you want. You've got that flexibility. So nothing is done live. It's 100% pre-recorded for that reason. It's also been designed with mobile in mind. And a big proportion of our users and our repeat users are on mobiles. Our first ever teacher training was on how to teach, knowing that everyone is going to be looking, well, not everyone, but lots of people are going to be looking at this on a mobile phone. And so you need to adjust your um, method of teaching because you can't assume that everyone can see a big whiteboard in front of them. Most people are looking at a smaller mobile. So how are you going to actually adjust the structure of your teaching based on that? So the site and the teaching has been geared for mobile so that someone who doesn't have access to a, a desktop or a laptop or a, or a device that is luxuriously large screened is still able to get in touch with the lessons and to be able to benefit from them. On Twitter, there's some really wonderful photos of the, the children kind of using the and engaging with the resources. And um, I wonder what the feedback has been from children and families. Um, what, what have you heard from them? Uh, it's lovely. There is nothing quite as nice as uh, seeing... I was particularly when you see a little kid in primary, there's one video that jump, jumps to mind and it jumps to mind for a bunch of the rest of the team because it was one of the earlier ones that came in um, that a parent put on Twitter of their child. And in primary, we try and make it very much feel like a classroom. So their teacher will uh, say a question and they'll pause and they'll get the child to shout their answer back at the screen. So there's lots of say it to your screen, say it to your screen. So they're getting that interactive experience. It's not just sitting and watching some dry lecture. Um, and there's this video that came in of um, this child doing a pretty hard science lesson. Uh, it was really, really well taught. And this is one minute sequence where they were saying, what type of variable is it? 
say it to your screen. And the kid's shouting back, dependent, dependent, dependent. So, Did you say dependent? Well done. And then the boy's going, yeah, I got it, I got it. And you're turning around to the camera and this kind of goes on for about a minute. It's just wonderful seeing that that teaching is having the impact that we hoped it would. Uh, and that is being useful to that child and to that parent. I guess you're seeing it in a different way because it wouldn't usually be captured on a, a video in that way. The learning experience, that's really lovely. And... A lot of our listeners will be social workers and some of them might be in the position where they have something that they would like to, to launch or to, to change and they, they have an idea, but they don't know what to do with it. So, you know, you're part of something which was an idea and in a really short space of time, it's come out into fruition and has had some great success. I feel, I feel profoundly unqualified to give advice to social workers right now. Um, I run a school. I know lots about children um, and lots about what their lives are like right now, but from a very different angle to the angle that social workers know about it from. And I imagine that being a social worker right now is just phenomenally challenging and phenomenally frustrating. The things that we are... Um, seeing work from a school angle are um, the success of routine and structure where we're able to keep it going, which I'm sure is no surprise to, to social workers, but we are really seeing that help and really seeing that where we are able to use school and use education as a way of keeping normality in children's lives. That's very, very helpful. Um, we are seeing that both from a structure by, by terms of timetable sense and also human interactions. Um, one thing that we were very clear on in my own school when we started online learning was the importance of hearing your teacher's voice. And we had only one rule for our first week of e-learning, which was that lessons must contain their teacher's voice as that sense of reassurance that we are still there and that the people who care about you are still there. So I would be thinking about how we can help families build routine and structure um, and how you can use education as a way to do that. And so how can we use what's out there, the great resources that schools are providing, um, the resources at Oak, if they happen to be helpful, to give some of that routine and structure to children. Can those who are not teachers or parents access the resources quite easy then? So, for example, if I was a social worker, could I recommend those resources to a family? Yep, so it's, it's freely accessible. There is no login. There is nothing that you need to do. You can just go into lessons. I was just thinking as well about what are the messages that we're trying to send out to children? I think, again, one of the messages that I send out through my own school is um, recognition of how difficult this is for them, of how difficult it is for children. You know, there's a lot of emphasis very rightly placed on the adults who are leading our response to this crisis and how difficult and challenging it is for them. But I think this is equally challenging, actually, for children whose lives have just been turned upside down. And I think a recognition of that goes a long way um, in, in showing them that we understand that actually it's pretty, pretty tricky for them, too. And they're worried about things. And that's legitimate. And, and I think one of the things that gives you agency as an individual in a time like this is being able to do something for others. And we have tried very hard to encourage our children to do things to help the people around them who they can see are also in need or finding things difficult. 
and that might not be a grand gesture that might be helping their parents out with dinner but actually a way of finding agency and feeling more positive about yourself in a very difficult circumstance is being able to help and support others and if that's a lesson that our children can learn through this that also helps them in their own well-being then that's a good thing thank you and I guess thinking about that second question and those who might have an idea and don't really know what to do with it what would your advice be to them and I don't want to pretend that um, I'm some kind of serial entrepreneur who knows how any of these things really work what what are the lessons that you could try and generalize from what we've just done though I think one is that the most important thing is just getting started having coronavirus and the sense of urgency meant that we felt enabled to launch something that wasn't perfect and but the fact of launching means that you get some momentum you learn about what works and doesn't work you start to build and hone as you go and and that means that the thing you end up building is better because once you've got started even if it's not perfect um, you can you can start to make progress. And I think you can have humility about where you are. We made a big point about being very clear that we weren't perfect. We hadn't nailed it. There was loads of stuff missing. We built the thing in about eight days. Uh, all of that was very upfront. So I think you can be humble about where you're starting from. But, and you know, that's difficult in a world where everyone is fear, fearful of trial by social media and putting something out that's not right yet. I agree with you. I was going to say, so a really good example of it was just a uh, someone I follow on um, Instagram and has a, a bakery and their website wasn't up on time. But because throughout their uh, messaging was really personal and they were really clear about the things that weren't working out for them. So I think having that personal touch and being really honest about things kind of made you feel as a someone who's watching in, you know, really understanding and it didn't really impact how I felt about them. Yeah, it shows a bit of humanity, doesn't it? Yeah. I think the other thing for us is um, you don't, don't, if there is something that is clearly right to do and it is right for people who need it and it's right for the children, it's right for the adults, whoever, whoever it is you're trying to help, don't wait for someone to give you permission. I think, you know, we were in an, a world where everyone was sitting around saying that something should be done. And the collective power of all of the people sitting around saying that was enough to do it. So we just kind of got up and started doing it. And once we had done that, we found and got some of that momentum, we found that it was easier to um, get, the, get the permission, right? Get people to approve and want to be on board with something because they could see it moving. Um, but we could have waited and hoped that somebody came forward and said, this would be great. Why don't why don't you actually go and do it and do it in this way? But then the whole thing might not have happened. I think that's a really good piece of advice, actually. Yeah, and nothing's ever perfect anyway. There's always going to be someone who thinks differently about something or, you know, some way in which you can improve it. So you can't start with perfect. No, definitely not. If you do, you just don't start. So just taking you back to so Oak National Academy and there will be a, a time where coronavirus has passed and I wonder what learnings will you take for that time and what do, what do you hope for the future of Oak National Academy? And I'll, I'll give you a metaphor uh, 
uh, it's not even a metaphor, it's a simile, God, this is terrible. Uh, it's a simile that a great teacher who has been in doing a lot of our teacher training used in our first training session, and this is probably true for, for social work as well, actually. He said that um, teaching online is like running a marathon at altitude. So the world's best marathon runners come from countries where they train at high altitude, right? And that is a harsher environment that is harder on their body because training at altitude, you have less oxygen. It's all much more difficult. And so you could say to yourself, why would you bother running a marathon at altitude, right? This is just nuts. Why are you making it much more difficult for yourself? But the reason that you run marathons at altitude is that when you get back down to sea level, you run much better. And what, what Josh was telling us in this training, which has just really resonated with me, was that it's exactly the same for teaching. Right? The level of challenge for you as a teacher is just so much harder. But the things that we practice by getting good at that, really clear explanations, thinking through what a child might get wrong in advance, chunking up what we're saying and splitting it into little steps so that everyone can follow it, even if they're working in a distracted home environment. Those things help when you get back down to the sea level of the classroom. And my hope for our sector is that we will have learned things that translate back to the sea level of normal life. We all have learned about um, what really matters when you're checking in with children who are vulnerable. Like, how do you really prioritize when it's time? Um, and how do you get really effective at that? And I bet there's an analogy to that in social work. Right. This is like the social work marathon altitude. But the core of the job is the same. So what are the things that uh, you are focusing on right now that are hard, but that are really worth the investment? Because back at sea level, they'll pay dividends to that's one of the things that we're thinking about as a school is how we are investing in resources and practice that are going to be a benefit for years to come. And I think you could think probably about the same and um, that same idea in other sectors as well. That's lovely. Thank you. Really interesting to think of it in that way. I guess we're down to kind of final, final thoughts, final bits. I think the Jeremy Kyle used to know, was it Jeremy Kyle? Who used to say, Jerry Springer used to say final thoughts. I, I've got to stop saying that. <laughs> I'll call it something different. Final thoughts. Uh, um, yes. What are your, what are your hopes for the future? What, what would you like to kind of leave your last message? I mean, the message that I, I give out to um, if any or likely there might be any of my children were listening or their parents were listening or any people who work with them is just you know, how impressive a job they are doing at the moment and it's really easy to measure yourself against the bar of normal life and are you doing things in the way you would normally do them at the standard you would normally do them at the level you'd normally do them and of course we're not and one way you can look at that is to look at that bar and think about yourself as having failed against it and beat yourself up about not being able to reach the outcomes you want to. And you know, for parents, the tremendous pressure of trying to work and maintain a family and supervise children's education, now, that's hard. And there are going to be plenty of days where you look at um, the level you want to reach and see yourself fall short of it. And I think the biggest message that I would give to all of those people is just that the job that they're doing is, is tremendously impressive. Um, 
that, you know, for a parent to be able to work, do your job from home, um, to be able to support a family um, through you know, the most difficult time we've had in decades, whilst also being the teacher to your child um, and their social group. That job is just a tremendous one. And I think we should all look forward to leaving this situation, being really, really proud of how well we've done. You were saying about um, the importance of being you know, kind to others earlier. And I think just being kind to yourself is uh, very important at the moment, isn't it? And saying thank you and remembering to remind all of those other people around you about how grateful you are for them and how good a job you think they're doing. You know, it's one thing being kind to yourself, which of course you should do, but it's a hell of a lot easier to be kind to yourself if there are other people telling you that you've done a good job. Thank you, David. I've really enjoyed talking to you and I found that really, really interesting. Thanks, uh, thanks for talking to me. <laughs>